Good afternoon. Uh, my name is uh, Sal Shivari. I'm the uh, Chief Information Officer for Edwards Life Sciences. We've gone through a uh, fairly aggressive implementation or transition over to AWS this year, so we want to talk about that a little bit. Um, Rajiv? Uh, my name is uh, Rajiv, Rajiv Pardwaj. I'm responsible for enterprise technology um, uh, at Edwards Life Sciences uh, and report into Sal. Uh, <clears throat> First of all, it's a pleasure, uh, you know, and to be here. Uh, some of the brightest people that I know uh, in the technology space all here. So thank you very much. Great uh, opportunity here. Uh, <clears throat> As we get into our journey, which, was, which we think is quite remarkable, and we have heard from many people that it's very remarkable, before we get into this, a quick thing about our company, what we do, uh, what Edward Life Sciences does, and then we'll get more into, the, into our, our journey. Um, we basically make heart valves. It's a little different from uh, uh, many of the other companies you might have seen here. Um, Helping patients is our life's work, and life is now. All these pictures that you see, they're real patients, our, our, our patients. We'll talk about our, our products a little bit. Basically, we're a medical device manufacturing company, uh, make heart valves and other critical care equipment. Um, the unique thing about our company is our focus is very narrow structural issues with the heart. We don't make pacemakers. We don't make uh, drugs that treat the heart, et cetera. These are structurally and critically ill patients, basically, uh, where we, they need a new heart valve. Most treated condition is known as aortic stenosis, where, you know, the valve goes, you know, the valve goes like this. And when it closes, it doesn't really close that well because of disease or old age, and that needs to be replaced. And our company makes that heart valve that goes in, you know, you go in there and replace it. It's pretty exciting, actually. As we talk about, you know, the area in which our company works, I mean, it's very fulfilling, and you feel a little noble. You know, when I started here, I came from a larger company, but... You have to use a lot of poetic license to say, I do something that really is saving someone's life. Here, it's really saving someone's life. The heart valve that goes in there, if it was not there, you know, it'll be a very drastic situation for the, for the, for the patient. And we take pride in that. Uh, quick, um, just so that lay of the land for our company so that you know how big we are. Uh, 2.5, 2015, uh, sales, close to 3 billion this year. Um, 10,000 plus employees. Um, global presence, many manufacturing locations across the world. Um, and you can see cardiovascular disease is the most, uh, one of the world's leading killer. And as we have people living longer, it's one of the major, major health expenses. So that's, that's the area we're in. <clears throat> we don't do a lot of things just to very, we have a very narrow focus in the area of heart, and that's where we are basically leaders. Now, this is the exciting part. I just want to spend two, three minutes, and I, trust me, we'll get to the technology and our AWS and all the instances pretty quickly. We're really proud of this stuff. So on your right is the surgical heart valve. Basically, the heart valve goes bad. They make an incision from right here around the neck and going down to the navel, open it up, let you know, move the rib cage a little bit, go in, pull out the bad one, put the new one in on the right, and sew it together, and you're brand new. Like in two weeks, 
you recover and your life is back to normal. That's, the, that's called the surgical heart valve. Now, recently, last two, three years, four years, we've been making huge waves with the one on the left, the transcatheter heart valve. This is, like, real exciting. I get excited about it just like the, the technology stuff we talk about. You, you have a catheter that's the diameter of a pencil or a pen. It goes through the thigh area, goes all the way up, makes a U-turn, goes to the heart valve, the bad one. You don't need to pull anything out. The new heart valve goes in or sits on top of the bad one, and it starts to work. Minimally in invasive, and the patient is like home in a day or two. Just imagine elderly patients or many other um, you know, patients that really cannot take a, an open heart surgery where you basically are split open. If this, if this therapy was not there, in some cases the mortality rate is 50 to 60 percent, meaning half of the patients the doctor will basically say, there's nothing I can do, just wait your time out. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty exciting that, that therapy is, is helping. One other thing is, because it's FDA regulated, anyone who touches this, sews it, touches it, packages it, puts a label on it, it's, it's all well documented and you have to have certain training for that, right? So whoever touched it, we know who, you know, who made that product. So sometimes when we have a patient day and a patient walks in and they're looking through the window glass, they're seeing how the heart valve was manufactured. That's beating in their heart like every second, basically. And they're like getting all emotional about it. What happens is the, the team that actually manufactured it, like the, those very people come out and say, hey, Mr. John, I sold your heart valve and I put the little stent in there. It is, there's not a single you know, eye that's not wet. I mean, you, as I'm telling it, I get little, you know, goosebumps even telling it. So this, this is, <clears throat> I just want to take a little bit of time um, explaining what our company does. We're leaders in technology, not the AWS kind, not the IT kind, but we're leaders in technology in our area, which is hardwells. That's our main business. And the third one, the critical care, is when you see someone on an operating table and you see all the tubes and everything basically plugged into them, that's our critical care um, uh, equipment. Uh, hemodynamic monitoring, that's the more technical or the fancier name, but that's what's happening there. So <clears throat> really the critically, structurally ill patients, and we're really helping them. That, that's, that's what our product is. So the way we think about it, uh, the way we think about it is, if we can keep our network up, if we can keep up with the growth profile of the company, if we can keep up with what, what we're trying to do in the end, what, what we're doing, the product that's being manufactured is actually saving someone's life. We always joke around, we say, when we say, my pair of shoes are backordered or my computer bag or my computer is backordered, that backorder is very different from my heart valve is backordered and the patient is basically counting days. So, you know, manufacturing and the criticality of what we do, I mean, we're proud of it. So, like I said earlier, helping patients is our life work and life is now. That's our motto. I think it rubbed off on, on us as IT organization too. You'll hear a lot of life is now, that, that capturing that now moment. So just wanted to set the stage for us as a company, close to $3 billion company, 10,000 plus employees, medical device manufacturing, and a product that we really feel proud of. Um, 
now let's talk about why most of you are here, uh, about our cloud journey. Sal, do you want to take us? Yeah, let me help set the stage a little bit. Um, I've been with Edwards for two and a half years. Uh, when I started with Edwards, we were a $2 billion organization. Uh, this year, we're going to be over $3 billion. So that's all organic growth. It's a very fast-growing company. As you've heard from Rajiv, we're regulated, validated, right? And so we've got a couple of challenges. Uh, we had been a very, very traditional type of IT organization, right? Traditional data center, traditional networks, traditional type applications, right? So we run, you know, we run J.D. Edwards for our ERP and manufacturing. Uh, we run clinical systems. Right? We've got uh, uh, PLM uh, with uh, Siemens, right? So we run our R&D, our clinical systems there. We've got data warehouse. We've got all the traditional type of stuff that you can imagine. However, Edwards, being a fast-growing company, and one of the reasons they've done so, so well is because they've heavily invested in R&D. For a number of years, if you look at their uh, ratio to sales, um, they're typically in the 15 to 16% of sales invested in R&D. And when you do that, other things have to kind of suffer a little bit. So, you know, historically, the investment in IT had not been as good. Right? So things were kind of done very ad hoc, um, as best they could. They were a very project-focused focused organization. Operations kind of got pushed to the side. Infrastructure got pushed to the side. Um, and when I remember going through the interview process, talking to the business leaders, uh, telling me their impressions of IT. And it, it wasn't a very positive picture. Right? So we have this problem. We have a fast-growing company, and we have an IT organization that is really not ready to, to handle this type of growth. Right? The surprising thing, when I actually started to take a look at what we actually have, is that it was worse than, than what they described. You know, things like basic change control weren't in place. Uh, we were more like a heroic company. So we had a lot of heroes, but very little process. Um, our data center was actually a managed uh, service Right, our hosted service, excuse me. Uh, so, you know, we weren't running our own data center. However, we, all, we were also a distributed IT organization. So we had uh, groups for each business unit, groups in each region, you know, groups in functions. We were all over the place, all right? So the challenge is we got a company that is growing like gangbusters. They got phenomenal product, right? Uh, they now are realizing their big, their big challenge is no longer, well, I shouldn't say no longer, it continues to be always development, always invest in the R&D side, but now we're, we're, sales are going great, we gotta ship product. We gotta build, we gotta ship, we gotta invoice, we gotta do all this stuff, and guess what all that stuff relies on? All the IT infrastructure that supports it, right? So, right, Rajiv and I, Beginning of this year, as we're rebuilding the IT organization, uh, we've gone through a lot of changes. Actually, Rajiv was part of the change. We didn't have an architecture group. So again, right, everything was done very ad hoc. We had architectures all over the place. We consolidated all the IT organization into one global IT group, 
We started added, we added an architecture team, we added a PMO team, vendor management teams, we've added an operations team. So we started putting all the basic core things together. What it doesn't do though, is it doesn't fix all that underinvested backend servers that we've had there for so long. We still had servers running 2003, right? A lot of them, actually. Uh, and in fact, one of the problems that, you know, when Rajiv and I were talking about this in the beginning of this year, one of the big problems was we weren't even sure what we had. There were so many layers and so much building and ad hoc and putting together that it was really difficult to determine what we had. So we had a lot of big challenges. And so when we took a look and we said, okay, what's it going to take to fix all of this? And we went through this whole process, uh, came back with, all right, in order to fix this, probably going to take us a year to a year and a half. Right. We're going to have to rebuild a whole new team. Um, we are going to have to tell the business to slow down because there's no way we're going to be able to achieve the projects we have on the plate for this year. And there are some fairly substantial projects on that plate. Right? And go through this type of transition. So this is, this is pretty difficult. Right? Um, and so we said, all right, let's look at other options. That's when we started to take a look at infrastructure as a service. Um, the opportunity for us was significant. The problems that we faced were a lot more internal versus external technology. Right? Um, I've, I've uh, built or rebuilt five organizations in, in IT over my career. Um, it's predominantly always been a cultural issue. Change has always been really difficult, and we face that same type of an issue. Um, and so going through this process for us was a lot harder from a standpoint of having the right talent in place, having the right attitude to go do it, and in fact, overcoming all the hurdles, because we had quite a few, right? Uh, and so we went through this process. I'll turn it over to Rajiv, and he can talk through kind of the selection process that we went through. Right. <clears throat> Just like Sal said, one thing was on-premise versus uh, cloud. It became clear we could spend two years, do a whole lot of hard work, get the top best talent that's out there in, in, you know, in the house, and what, we would, what would we have achieved at the end of two years is basically a functioning data center. I mean, nothing that we could be, we could be proud of. And we know the growth is going to be, will be obsolete in two years anyway, so it was clear that infrastructure as a service was the way to go. Now the question was, which cloud? And I jokingly said cloud that shall not be named. I didn't want to write it. Uh, we, so we have a lot of Microsoft in our company. So we, of course, looked at Azure, Microsoft Azure, and AWS. Now here's what I would like to, you know, this is now we're getting into our lessons learned or our journey here. Pretty quickly, we be it became clear, if I listen to Gartner, I've been a long-time subscriber to Gartner, you know, analysis, et cetera. If you listen to Gartner, listen to Forrester, listen to some of the analysts, um, you'll be more confused. Everything kind of started the same. You have a server there, you have a server, you know, there kind of stuff. If you look at the detailed infrastructure as a service evaluation scorecard from Gartner or from any, any other company, pages long, I mean, you, you'll definitely freeze. So we said, okay, we do understand AWS is in the top, whatever corner, Azure is catching up. How do we make up our own minds? Because in the end, I'm on the hook. I can't say, oh, my, I've, 
my important system failed, but you know, Gartner said that AWS is really good, and please, you know, I, and I trust their opinion. We had to make up our own opinion. So we <clears throat> decided to quickly review what the analysts were saying, and let's do our POC. That's the beauty of the infrastructure of the services. I don't have to spin up a data center. I don't have to go buy anything. I could just go and start POCing. We came up with <clears throat> a lot of our internal analysis that we did. I tried to summarize it. I don't want to bore you with too many details. Basically, when we talked about compute, and someone says it's easy to clone VMs in, in, um, in AWS, or it's better, you, you got, uh, because we have R&D, just like uh, Sal said, 16% of our revenue is going in R&D, and we need high-performance computing. Just because an analyst says it's easy or difficult doesn't mean anything. So we have, we have folks actually right here in the room today, Alec and other who actually took a deeper dive and started seeing, what does this mean? I spin up this instance. Is it really easy to manage? Can I back it up? Can I clone it? How does the HPC look like? Is it really as advertised, or they're trying to serve some other market? So we made up our own mind. I think that's my kind of recommendation also is analyst stuff is okay, but sometimes it gets into the over-analysis type of area. Network was very, um, very critical, is ease of configuring our desired network topology. Our knuckles, our VPC design, how we want to do it. Can it fit? Of course we want to go with the industry standards, but I just don't want to just take what an analyst say and assume that that's going to work for us, right? Because in the end, it's our systems. They have to work and produce the hard valve that, that's going to some patient, right? I mean, it, it's critical stuff. We're not talking about um, experimenting with things. Security also was very attractive. Now, it's, it's controversial. Most of you guys already know because most of you are already in the cloud space or are in different parts of your journey. Cloud is, is cloud really safer? Why do you say it's more secure? I firmly believe, and I might be wrong, but I, I'm saying from our company's perspective, I feel the amount of investment that goes into securing an AWS, be it encryption, be it the security group concept, beat the various layers we can put in. We can actually improve our security posture when we go there. I always give the example of a bank. The, the banks advertise, hey, here's everyone's money is right here. And they don't hide it. They say, I'm Chase, I'm right here. And all y'all's money is <laughs> in the bank. And everyone knows the bank is there. And banks get robbed too. We know that there's robbed. But still, would you rather put your money in the bank or would you put it under your mattress and, and sleep with a dagger in your hand, right? We all make that choice. We know this is secure. And they, the amount of security and the amount of effort they'll put in that area is, is going to be much more than I could ever do. We could do it, but it'll be way more expensive and way more, I'll need a different kind of talent to be able to do it. So anyway, for, from compute, storage was very important. We run our... Um, ERP systems, our product lifecycle management systems, our manufacturing execution systems. So storage performance was very, very important. It's not a little dev test that I spun up to show someone that I could, I, it works in AWS. All my billing, all my pick pack ship, all my labeling, everything is running from there. So it, it better be good. That's where we evaluated them, Azure and AWS, and what we came back with is based on our analysis and where we feel comfortable with it, we picked 
um, AWS as the computing plan. It basically met whatever we wanted. There were some glitches because of our newness to it. We're not cloud experts. Uh, now we pretend to be in like six, eight months, but, <laughs> but uh, definitely we were not cloud experts. So we made our best judgment with a crack team, got a lot of help from our AWS solution architecture team that was helping us also. And <clears throat> we made the call that AWS is, is the way to go for us. Now this is the important part. Now we're getting into, from a whiteboard, where a bunch of architects my, like myself, the backroom guys say, oh, you know what, this, this looks really, really good. Alex says, hey, you know, this is nice. And I say, yeah, that's, 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 that's good. And now comes, now we have decided, and I'm talking not two years ago, I'm talking March-ish time frame. So, Sal, I want you to please talk about the decision and the action on how you put your foot down. <laughs> well, there's a couple things that you got to. So, first off, uh, I've got to go sell this to the executive management team and to the board uh, because there is an incremental investment, right? You're going to be running dual environments for a little while. Uh, that was actually a fairly easy sell. You know, it, it, the example that I used just in the security space alone was the fact that. Amazon spends more in security than we make as a company. There's no way we'd ever be able to step up to that type of, that type of security. So, it, you know, it's, it's having some good data as well as the fact that ultimately, once you're through the transition, at a worst case scenario, we were looking at this as being a flat on our budget. All right? So, wasn't gonna, it was, we were gonna get significantly better services significantly better uh, opportunity to turn things around faster, better security, uh, at a pretty much a neutral cost once you go through the transition. So that's the first piece, getting the executive management to buy in. Once you got that, and this question is, how do you get the team to roll forward? So when we started this off, we gave it to the traditional infrastructure team, and we said, go do it. Let's try some proof of concepts. Let's, you know, let's go get some of our our uh, test servers, our development servers, let's start putting it up there. What we got back was a constant challenge of what we couldn't do, what roadblocks they had to come up to, what you know challenges they felt it faced, why it wouldn't work. It, it was nonstop. And in fact, you know, probably for about a month, uh, it literally went nowhere. I remember an example, uh, I think it was Rajiv that called me over the weekend to get on a phone call with a group of you know, of a technology group, probably six, seven of us. And I was notified that we had a service that was down and that the individual that would be working on it had been trying to rebuild this server for the last, I don't know, plus 20 hours, right? They had spent Friday night all the way through Saturday trying to get this thing back up. And when I asked a simple question, I said, well, why, don't you, why aren't you doing it in Amazon? A little bit of quiet on the phone. I can tell you, they called me back in two hours and they said, we're up and running. So it's, it's, it's really difficult to kind of get them over that hurdle. And in fact, what we did do is we actually pulled it from the traditional team. And we gave it to a select group of folks. In fact, some of them are here in this audience. And if you want some detail, I recommend you talk to Alex, Dio, and Victor, who are all in me about. Raise your hand for a second there, guys. Right. Okay, these guys did the detail, right? Uh, but essentially, they comprised part of the team, this dedicated SWAT team, and their directive was 
Nothing gets built in our existing data center ever again. No servers, no tests, no nothing. Right? Everything we do from that point forward had to go up in an Amazon. And let's start conservatively. Let's get all our tests up there. Right? Let's get all our non-production. Let's move it up. Uh, they started to go through this process. Now, certainly there's a lot of learnings in this, not only from a standpoint of what it takes to put it up in, into, into Amazon, but there's also the learnings of uh, what did we have, right, and what kind of condition it was in, and what kind of challenges might that pose. Um, and I'll let Rajiv talk about that in a little bit. But fundamentally, it, the big role that Rajiv and I had to play was essentially running around uh, and and putting, moving the blockers aside, right? And you're going to get a lot of blockers because your application teams are going to think twice about it. They don't want to do it. You know, it's oh, it's additional testing. I don't want to have to spend my time on that. Well, I'm a very directive CIO, so there's things like that. For me, all right, it was quite easy to kind of go in and go, no, we're going to do this. And so, strength behind your decision is really important giving it to teams that can go over and break the hurdles and know that they have your support and backing in doing it is very important. Getting the business to understand the value of it and making sure that they're backing you up as you're going through this process. Because even though there's minimal disruption, there's still disruption you want them to test, right? So you want them to be part of that journey, as well as you also want them to understand the tremendous value that comes out of this from moving from what could have been a disaster for us if we continued in the path we have to where we're at today. And oh, by the way, let me give you one last little fact about this before I turn it over to the regime. Our organization had not done a disaster recovery test in five years. None, nada, not a single one, right? And what I found out is that we may or may not have all the backups. Okay, I literally had to go to the CEO of the organization and say, we're at risk, big time. That was not a happy conversation, right? So, you know, when you look at that type of a scenario, and then today when I look at that CEO and I say, you'll never have to worry about disaster recovery again, right? You, will, you know, we're, we're going to continue to do our testing, but it's going to be a much different animal, right? Uh, and, uh, and from a standpoint of, you know, risk, this is a risk that I think we can take off our plate. So that was actually a fairly big win for us, uh, considering the condition that we were in. One quick, one quick comment on that, Sal, is when, say, stop all new builds on-premise, so Sal puts his foot down, everyone knows, and but there were a lot of murmurs, like, no, but I got my clinical trial coming up, I need five, uh, whatever, right? <clears throat> so then we said, made it easier, so we came up with this very scientific process, which is, any new on-premise VM that we spin up needs approval by the CIO. For the next four weeks, I didn't hear a peep. Everyone figured out a way of, of, of making it work. So sometimes, not being you know, heavy-handed or anything, but sometimes it just needs that extra sponsorship from your leader, and then you know, things can start, start to fall in place. So c continuing with the, with the same theme, now that we talked about our journey from us making the decision that we have to go out infrastructure as a service, comparing AWS, Azure, picking AWS, and then to make it real, saying no more builds on on-premise, and any new project is in AWS, and quickly move whatever on-premise there, so we are attacking it from all angles. 
and architecture team and a lot of different teams, our, our project management team, are all focused so, so we know, don't get any outliers. So we're attacking it on all fronts. We quickly realized we have to come, again, very simple. Our plan was very, very simple, practical and actionable. We realized pretty quickly it could not be a community effort. It could not be that, oh, some infrastructure guy, a little bit of architecture guy, this, and in their part-time, somebody will spin up something, and we realize it's not going to go anywhere. It had to be high-contact sport, full intensity, and we realized that you cannot have a transformation run for five years. You know, there's a thing called transformation fatigue. You know, you can't keep saying, I'm transforming for, like, the next five years. It had to be done pretty quickly. So we have to put a, a line in the sand. Sal's very good at that. <laughs> you can talk to him later. So he could very quickly say, I, and he, I remember he said, Rajiv, and he, I know he didn't, I knew he didn't mean it, but I'm not sure because I know Sal too well. He said, I'll personally come over and unplug your data, <laughs> data center. And I, I was amused. I don't know how he would even find the power plug, but, but anyway, he said, I'm going to personally unplug it just to take a very controversial stand so that everyone knows that this is happening. This is not some architect's theoretic, theoretical thing in the back of their mind. High intensity, put a very focused team. They're not doing anything. That's what they're doing. And we got good help. I mean, Corpinfo is here, uh, our partners that helped us with that. We'll talk about that also later. The other thing <clears throat> was Failure is an option. So I know it sounds very counterintuitive, but we, we, we were clear, because we're not the cloud experts, so we were humble enough to know that we're not the experts. We're going to make mistakes. And so that's where the, the executive sponsorship comes in, because Sal has to talk to all the business leaders to make sure as we move this, whenever you move house or you clean house, there's a bunch of dust, right? So we'll have to have pardon our dust stuff. So making mistake is okay. If you couldn't move that server that weekend, we, we try it again the next weekend. That's no big deal. Shot, set, goal. In fact, our business runs like that. When you do a tons of R&D like we do, we, we try it a lot of times and one of them hits. We t took the same thing here. Think big, typo, think big, sorry, for those of you who are taking pictures. Start small and act fast. Think big was... I know it's very uh, cheesy. It's from somebody said something that's meaningful for us because we talk about it in our leadership team meetings a lot. Think big was our goal is to move every compute thing that we possibly can, but for the manufacturing stuff that needs to be on site, will be in AWS. That's the big thinking part. Start small. We realize very quickly if you make it too big, it will freeze us. We'll get overwhelmed with, oh, what, what if this happens? What if that happens? How about this? How about that? Even though our vision is big, we start small. We pick the MES implementation that we're doing or the next upgrade that's coming up or whatever new project, project is on the docket. Even though we're thinking big, we're starting small. So we can show success. It's important. Everyone feels that energy. And then act fast. All of us know here the studies that we do that last for two years, or the great roadmap thing we do for 16 months, where does it go? Most of the time it goes on a shelf somewhere, either in an architect's office or some VP of someone, and it's like, oh, this is a study that that consulting company did. It proved everything, but we didn't do jack. <laughs> it's still sitting there. So 
act fast was very quick. This this is where the land, line in sand is very important. Once you once you know where you're going, being analysis, the math works out. Then we say, I want to be out of here. Um, I don't Sal gave us uh, three months. Three months, yes. Mm -hmm. He says three months, and I want every production business critical app out of here. And then we expanded it to all business applications out of there, unless they have other roadmap, like they're being retired, et cetera. I, I you know, I, I could not say no, <laughs> but we, 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 it bled over a little bit, but it was very good to have that, like, this is, this is happening, this is not a joke. So think big, start small, act fast. Frankly, in our ingredient for success, other than the technology part, is right here. Do you want to add something to that, Sal? Or? No, I mean, I think it's, it's just, you know, you, we got to keep this moving. There is no choice. We were in a critical situation. We had major systems implementations going on in that year. Um, we had uh, a manufacturing execution system that was being rolled out. We had another product lifecycle upgrade. We had a JD Edwards upgrade. We had upgrade. We had we had so much stuff happening, and we couldn't stop that. We can't stop the company, and we couldn't sustain ourselves on what we were at. Yeah. So it was it was really a critical juncture, uh, and it's one where we just you know we just had to be very forceful. And yes, I would have found a plug somewhere, and I would have unplugged it. Somehow, right? <laughs> I believe you. Uh, the other DC here is all our sites. I didn't think we should put all the names, but it's all across the world. Let's just talk about how we set up at a high level. Details, we can talk later. To the extent that I can share, I'll be happy to share. But <clears throat> we went the direct connect route. We started with a v VPN tunnel between our data center and, the, and AWS just to get the ball rolling because we didn't want to wait for the perfect thing, right? We said VPN tunnel. We were the first users of Snowball, not the, not the 18-wheeler, but the little one. Uh, we, we had the, about a few terabytes worth because our VPN tunnel was too little. So we said, got in the data center, put all of our data there, shipped it. No one knew how it worked. It was like really brand new, like two weeks into it. And it, it, it kind of worked. So we spun up our stuff. In parallel, we were working on the direct connect. So today, our direct connect, and we have made an improvement recently. But how this works is we have, we have our MPLS, which is AT&T. Uh, AWS is just another site on the MPLS. Those of you who know how MPLS works, it's, it's no different than that. The only difference was because of a lot of move from our data center, we actually got dark fiber lines from Zeo, our provider, going directly into the into into the AWS Oregon location. The reason was it was much cheaper than AT&T NetOne, number one, and number two, we got like two 10 gig lines. The reason is we knew we'll be moving a whole bunch of stuff there. We don't need 10 gig. We we have never even gone over six, seven hundred megs on that line, but. We had to move a bunch of servers, et cetera. So we said, let it settle, and then we change over to uh, our NetBond, the, the AT&T MPLS. That's how we are currently structured. The only difference that in, in, from this picture that was recently put in was rest of the world, instead of hopping through Irvine and then going to AWS, is now going directly to AWS from, from the MPLS. That's the only, only major difference. But it's fairly simple. It's very straightforward. Those of you who are MPLS kind or shops in... AWS takes less than 10 minutes to, to spin it up. You just, you know, you got the providers, you just, it's all configuration, so it's not, not that big a deal. If you have to do circuits 
those of you who do that, you know that it's 90 days, 120 days. I mean, it's much more elaborate as compared to doing it with the AWS folks. The other thing was, and there were a lot of discussions here. I think Taylor was part of some of them here from Corp Info was in the front row. The nicely bearded man here. <laughs> His beard keeps growing. Um, we had a lot of discussions around how do we want to do the VPC design. There's a lot of thoughts around that. We heard a lot of we should have each VPC should be an account. Sometimes people say it because the managed services provider, it's much easier for them to manage all these accounts. Or so there's, there's some non-technical things in that. When we looked at this and we talked to AWS, our solution architecture team, it became pretty clear to us. One of the things we had been burned, uh, you know, by in our data center was there was no clear demarcation between dev and test and prod. So this is where we said, hey, you know, I want dev as dev test and test, and if there's any bleeding going on, we want to know and approve, and we, we better have a good reason on why that. Of course, the shared services VPC is needed because some of the directory services or some of the integration services, there are some things that you actually need that need to talk to all of the VPCs, so we have the shared services VPC concept. We're kind of evolving it, actually, or making it much better as, you know, as we tweak it. Now we have a whole bunch of stuff there, but that's that's our, our overall VPC design. So <clears throat> once again, once we made the decision and we came up with a game plan on we're going to move fast on this, right? And mistakes are okay. We'll, whatever mistakes, that's fine. We're not perfect. The other thing was we went the direct connect route. I know that there's a lot of preferences. Some people want to use Internet more. I'll just, you know, we did our analysis because our ERP is going to be there, our product life, our heart is going to be there. We just, we went MPLS route. Um, maybe we can be more efficient in the future and we don't need to spend that much money, et cetera, but that's, you know, we want to be super sure, so that's why we went that route. And this, this one I told you, very basic. We want to keep dev, test, everything separate, and this is our, our VPC design. Most important part when you move now, this bit us big time, so I want to spend a little couple minutes on this. <laughs> and we have some battle scars. I know Alec is taking a deep sigh as, as I talk about this. When you have a lot of applications in your data center, and we didn't have a CMDB, so I want to also tell you, don't get too discouraged by, I don't have a CMDB, I don't know what talks to what. We have one Excel and a bunch of sticks and stones and one Excel and a bunch of people, and we moved it, so you guys could do it much better. Move groups was very important. Over the years, people who have run data centers here, we've been consolidating SQL farms or database farms where you host to, to save on licenses, et cetera. But you, that SQL farm hosts a lot of applications, right? What happens when you move the application to AWS? The database is still here. It sucks. You get a call like in 10 minutes that AWS sucks. <laughs> well, AWS doesn't suck. Our planning sucks. We, come, we came up with the concept of this move group. Move group was if any application has a hard dependency, and hard was defined as a database and an app server, or database to database link or connection, or anything that is real time, you make a call and your, the user is blocking for the response, they need to move together. Hence the name move group. Anything that has hard dependency needs to move together. The second reason 
the second um, aspect of the move group was non-technical, meaning you got the same finance users that'll be testing their application that weekend, right? I mean, you, you don't want them to be up every weekend. So let's add some applications that same set of users are using. It's, it's not a technical constraint, but it's, it's very, very practical because after all, you want those users to test it. And the third one was convenience. Convenience meaning we did not want to move hundreds of servers in the same weekend because we are FDA regulated. We have other restriction two, where we have to run our operational qualifications or, the, or some other scripts. To, uh, testing is very formal. So we wanted to be, we don't want to make it so big that we won't be able to handle it. I think the most we hit in a weekend was 50, six, yeah, let's say between 50 to 75 servers. That's what, what we moved in one weekend. User groups got together, tested, and we said, good, cut over and go live. So that, that was our move group. Now. <clears throat> I know as I'm saying it, in the back of my mind, somebody's saying, you liar. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm making it sound very simple. Most of our battle scars are from this, this one. Because <clears throat> we didn't have a good inventory or a CMDB, and it was all based on our dump from SCCM that we arranged a little bit, Victor polished it, refined it, and we did, we did a lot of interviews with the application architects, application owners. You move an application and then you realize, man, it's really bad. And then you quickly react to it. Thankfully, it did not happen too much. It's not like, you know, 80% of our applications had issues, but we did have issues. I would say this one, I think you guys can do much better if you are more organized and you know which applications talk to which applications on which ports and protocols. Um, if you're in that, in that position, then you're awesome. I've not met many. Everyone has the same complaint like I have as I started talking to my peers, man. Like, you talk to the application folks, they have no idea. Like, it was uh, some dynamic port. Yeah, you figure it out. You Network guy, you figure it out. I have no clue how it works. If you can form good move groups, that's, in my mind, 80% of the game. Technology is not the, the limiting factor. You got a 10 gig pipe, AWS is solid. Everyone's running on it. You're okay because you're running your business on it. In moves, the, the real trick is, is move groups, interviewing the application owners, talking to the business. Um, Let me just, please, why that's so important. So um, as we were doing the move, the other thing we took a look at is what's our portfolio of projects that we had going on that year. And things like J.D. Edwards upgrade, PLM upgrade, uh, and a whole new MES as we discussed, those were some of the big ones. We said, why not bridge their upgrade with the move, right? And so we did that. And so the, the upgrade process actually went through the entire process of reconfiguring it so this way it would, the new image would actually be up in Amazon. Now, keep in mind, we weren't moving junk. So we just didn't take what we had and we moved it. It was, it was cleaned up, some cases upgraded, uh, some cases parsed out so there was the right prod, develop, test, and all this training, right, sandboxes they're supposed to be. Uh, but an interesting example with the J.D. Edwards move made it really evident that if you didn't move the groups properly, you'd run into trouble, right? So we went live with J.D. Edwards. Everything is running. Everything is great. In mm -hmm. fact, the entire J.D. Edwards environment, granted, is you, you kind of kind of shake down a couple of the issues, but for the most part, it's good. What we ran into trouble was with the whole BI environment. We couldn't do reporting because we left reporting in the old environment, 
right? And that took us the better part of a couple of days to figure out the, the, the simple solution of this was to remove the reporting database back up into the Amazon cloud. So understanding what those groups are and what the impact is so you know, um, you know, what, you know, how to kind of group these together successfully so you can move it and not make sure you have a production impact is really important. Trying to bridge it together with your project groups so this way you don't, you know, I'm going to do an upgrade and I'm moving it, two separate steps, kind of redundant. You know, you can, if you can bridge those together, I think that will actually help out being able to do that move. Uh, things like, for instance, uh, we have our SharePoint environment. We're upgrading all of our SharePoint, SharePoint excuse me, environment up to the cloud version. Well, why move it? Right? And so we left it. I said, let it sit. Uh, but now we're transitioning, you know, and we're literally it's turning it off as opposed to moving it. Uh, so things like that. Office 365 up in the cloud. Uh, and so we put up Office 365 out there. But again, all those old servers, we didn't bother to move. We just simply said, you know, let them sit, sunset them. Once we move them, turn them off and move on. Okay. Very important. Uh if they already have a plan, if they're going to Salesforce.com or SharePoint Online, we're not we're not you know just moving them here just for the fun of it. And yeah, that, that's the self-inflicted thing I talk about. You're absolutely right. You move, we move 65, 70. Uh, you know, uh, we up upgraded an application, um, our product lifecycle management application. There's one thing we kept, we kept back. One thing, a license server. It doesn't do much. It's just one little thing. It's like yeah, we'll we'll do that. In a couple of weeks, let us sell down because they were saying that. Sure enough, two days after go live, license server is down, and we have an outage for three, four, three, four. It was a good two and a half to three hours. We're like, ah. Oh. So it kept teaching us that move groups are important, and move you just move. Don't 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 try to surgically come up with this very complex, very nuanced type of thing. No, no, keep it very very simple. You move, bite the bullet. You know, let the leaders. Work the executives on the business side, et cetera, but just just move. Keep the simpler we keep it, the more chances of success. Once we did a few of those, then we have the factory style. Now our factory style is: we form the move groups, we schedule the migrations, and, and Taylor is doing a, a lot of them now. Well, now we're done. So, but communicate to the user communities. Detailed execution task, weekend, everyone knows when this happens, everything pretty much happening on, on email, and there's a couple of no, go, no, go checkpoints where we, where we go, I say celebrate for 60 seconds because there's another move group or some issue happens, so not a time of, not a lot of time to gloat, et cetera. Once you, once you master one or two move groups, and I would recommend do it on your non-prod environments, the first few move groups we had were all dev test. If it breaks, it breaks, and somebody yell at me, I'll say, I'm sorry, I apologize. But you learn. And so by the time you're on your th third, fourth, fifth move group and you're hitting the non, so our scheme was dev test, non-critical production environments, critical production environments, and mission critical pr production environment. By the time you touch the mission critical, you have like five, six move groups under your belt. You know exactly who to call, how to get the bridge together, simple things like making sure people are up, uh, you know, doing what they're doing. So. I think you can get to factory style moves in four or five move groups. It'll never be factory style. Again, I'm oversimplifying. I mean, even today, the last move group we had, we had an issue uh, that we had to um, we had to remediate. But you know, 
you can get, it can get very very smooth. Uh, Sal, can we talk about our, our our challenges? I'm I'm just I'm being respectful of the time. Also, this is I think the most important yeah, I mean, part. Yeah, I think of, we've uh, talked a lot about this. So I'll just go through it really quick. I, you know. Obviously, communication is important, both the internal with your teams and, and external with the business. It impacts all of them. Uh, and don't underestimate the impact of your own internal teams. It's big. And, and it's something that you have to be very focused on, and you have to help them get through. Uh, it is a big change. Um, so the communications piece is really important. Um, inventory of servers. Uh, it would have been beautiful if we had an accurate inventory of everything we had. Uh, had we done that, we'd be talking right now about our migration six months later. It would have taken us that long to figure out where the heck everything was hidden. So this was a action-oriented move. This was move it, all right? Move it, we'll figure it out later. Um, so the, we talked about the moving group for, uh, formations, uh, picking the right migration partner. So that was actually kind of interesting because we've had you know, some help both from, uh, we had a lot of help from uh, Amazon, we had a lot of help from Corp Info. Uh, so both of them helped us in, uh, in moving this move. Um, from a dollar standpoint, uh, you gotta manage that, right? You gotta manage the expectations and you also have to manage the fact that you will take a short-term hit. You, that data center is still there, right? right? And so you, you gotta pay for it right. while you're going through this, uh, this environment. But funny thing is, as I was looking through the AWS graphics library, there's no symbol that shows the dollar going up. It's all, so I had to actually <laughs> rotate it because uh, every, everything is going down. That's, that's, take it from me. That is not the case. When you're moving, like Sal was saying, when you're moving your stuff there, your license exposure, your two of everything, your leases are still there on the data center, there will be, it will go up, not like the graphic if you said going down. But once it's there, there's a lot of knobs to turn from reserved instances to turning off your dev instances that you use very infrequently, plus all the inefficiencies that was in the data center. There's a lot of opportunities to save. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so here, great example. We were paying to our, because we actually had to, I had to run and go get a disaster recovery contract. Uh, I think that was a million one. Mm -hmm. um, we paid a million one on an annualized basis to our disaster recovery vendor uh, as we kind of were, were getting disaster recovery in shape as we went in through this. That went away, all right? But I'm paying for it at the same time I'm going through this transition. So, you know, that's obviously an incremental cost. But the good news is, is that once you level it out and once you get rid of all that stuff that you don't need anymore, um, I can tell you that at a minimum, at a minimum, it's going to be flat. Uh, I think we need to kind of settle it out a little bit more, and we'll see. I, we're expecting that it might even be better than flat. But I can tell you at this point, our expectation is it should be flat. You know, on, on the communication side, one thing I wanted to uh, touch on is, and these are the non-technical part, just on a, a couple technical things also, because some of you uh, might be interested in that. We used a tool called Cloud Endure to move from our on-premise environment to, uh, to AWS and cut them over. Cloud Endure, by and large, worked as advertised, but it's not, I mean, it, it needs care and feed, so you know what, you need to know what you're doing with it. But the good thing there was, the server moves as is there, right? And once you get used to it, once some of the idiosyncrasies have been taken care of, it can be a very helpful tool moving 
moving all these servers because you don't want to be installing applications from scratch, et cetera. Having said that, on the communication, in the communicate, you know, we learned a lesson very early on. We moved a simple dev server off our financial consolidation application. A dev server that's touched maybe twice in two weeks. Like, we're like, hey, we got this. Over a weekend, who cares? And this was our first move group. It was the HFM server. It caused such a big ruckus. The finance community was not happy. We learned from what we learned is just because we know about AWS as technical folks or we know about infrastructure as a service or data center, et cetera, everyone doesn't know that, right? So then we realized that even if it's a small server, big server, small app, we got to communicate. That's why I said when in doubt, communicate. Over-communication is okay. So then we started this interviewing, touching all the business partners, making sure they know that we're moving and who they can call, et cetera, et cetera. It's a simple thing. I know it's in the big technical scheme of things. It doesn't mean uh, a lot. But the noise level it can create can derail the whole program. So we, I, we were, you know. We, and the, the, the second thing, my, my discovery for this project was, Man, I'm telling you, we, we did it with sticks and stones. So I'm sure you guys can do a much better job. We did it with an Excel. It's still an Excel. Taylor and Alec manage that. That has all the servers, the applications. The own. It's a much slicker Excel now because, you know, after all these few months of, you know, running our migrations through that, it became really accurate. And, of course, in AWS, we're tagging the heck out of servers because now we want to know, how much did I spend on the dev of JDE last week, right, or, or yesterday? So now we're really tightening it because we have bled on the other side. But don't let the, the fact that you don't have it perfect, like, scare you away. That's my learning from this. We had a very, very basic thing in place, and we moved our ERP product lifecycle management, manufacturing execution system, you name it, all our, and this is not some sideline light of stuff, this is our real stuff. Yeah, to kind of wrap it up a little bit, it, it, we moved every production, there is no longer production system sitting in our old environment. Right? Every production system got moved. What's in our old environment right now are uh, things that need to be cleaned up, things that were no longer used, stuff we found weren't even powered up. Uh, so that's basically cleanup that has to happen. Um, we're, we're continuing to refine the process of, uh, you know, how we operate under this new environment, but it's going very, very well. We're not having the same type of issues that we had. In fact, I'll tell you one thing that's really popped up has been uh, employee morale around the entire thing, both from the business and from internal. From internal, you got people knocking on the door going, I want to, I want to do it, I want to be part of it, right? Uh, when they see success, they, they can really appreciate it, um, and it really helps them to understand the value of doing this. From a business standpoint, um, it's the response time, the reliability, the fact that we're not having to send out another email saying that your system is down. All that has gone, you know, extremely well. Um, we actually had, you know, some very big initiatives this year that were publicized very heavily across the organization. And to be able to say that we successfully deliver it, and Amazon was part of that, was actually a big win for us. Uh, I firmly believe we're in a significantly better place today um, than we would have been had we tried to take the alternate path. Uh, I don't think we would have been successful. In fact, I think we would have had one heck of a year trying to deliver everything we tried to deliver, even though we took on this massive migration. The migration 
is if you guys are in a lot better shape than we are, and I think a lot of companies are, you should be able to do this faster than we can. Um, it's, it's that good, it's that effective, uh, and the end result right now is that we're poised for a 2017 that I think will actually allow us to move into much bigger environments. We'll probably move ahead as I'm looking at what's happening in data warehousing and we're looking at what's happening in the database environment. We'll probably leverage both those from Amazon. Uh, I don't see any reason why I should be building my own to do this. So very positive experience for us. Uh, if we can help you with any questions, we'd be more than happy to do it. As I said, the guys who actually did it are sitting in the, in the room here. Uh, we actually have some of our guys from uh, Amazon Corp Info. They can help answer questions as well. So 